2: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show.
3: An emphatic 4-1 win over Fulham and a comfortable 2-0 success against Brentford are possibly the perfect way for Manchester City to get back into the swing of things after the winter break. It turns out City are pretty reliable these days. Two more penalties converted this week and both by a player who is almost guaranteed to find the net at the moment in Riyad Mahrez as well. Also on this week's show, we'll be turning our attention to ticket prices with the game against Fulham showcasing what can happen when the entry is set at an affordable level. How many social media posts have we seen this week of families taking their kids to their first game at the Etihad? Had. It's the return of the Champions League 2 as sports in Lisbon are on the horizon so we'll get insight into City's last 16 opponents and we'll preview that game plus the weekend trip to Norwich as well. I'm David Mooney and for this week's Blue Moon podcast I'm joined by City fan Richard Burns. Hi David. And from the Manchester Evening News Simon Baikowski. Hello. Hello indeed. Um, Simon, Different performances I thought this week. Um, how much? Uh, how much of the difference in entertainment level was simply because of the opposition do you think?
4: Yeah, I think uh, a lot was down to the difference in opposition. I think not to get too much into the how boring a City debate, but a lot of that debate comes down to how teams play against City. And I think recently you had Southampton and Fulham, who both went at City and exposed them and they were good, entertaining games. Um, Brentford... Uh, did kind of press City high up the pitch, but then retreated as fast as they could and were very defensive, uh, which is completely within their right, but um, makes it a bit less exciting.
3: Yeah, um, I, was, I was just on kind of on that, Richard. When you think of the of the Fulham game, um, obviously it's it's hard as a Championship side coming to City in the FA Cup, but like top of the Championship, the flying high, the scoring goals. You can't blame them for having a goal, can you? In that sense, and it did produce a good game.
5: Yeah, I mean, um, you sort of the, the nature of a cup competition is, and, and a one-off game is, you sort of you have to have a go at some point, don't you? Um, if you're gonna, unless you're gonna put everything on getting to penalties, you, you do sort of have to have a go. And Fulham, um, I'm, I'm not going to lie and pretend I've seen loads of them this season, but from how I gather they play, they were um, they were pretty true to themselves and, and consistent with. How they like to play football, and, and we know sort of from previous Marco Silver teams how he likes to try and play, and it's obviously working very well for him at the moment. And I was really, um, I was, I was sort of glad to see them come and do that because it's refreshing. I think, you know, obviously I was sat with my dad, and we both commented in the first five minutes that it's the best start that I can remember a team coming to the Etihad and making for ages, and. Th- they didn't just have a goal; like they were really good and really troubled City. Um, so no, I, I can't blame them at all. They found a, a very good way to play.
3: Did still get beat four one though. So <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, but the, the the troubled City initially, and I know City had a chance before they did as well. But you wonder whether Fulham would have been able to come and sit back and defend and shut City out. And you might as well lose a cup game 4-1 as 1-0, hadn't you? It's yeah. Or 2-1. It's it's different to a league game where you weren't considering goal difference and um, damage limitation and everything. I thought um, they gave themselves, for the way they played, their best chance of getting anything from the game.
3: Yeah. Simon, you talked about uh, how Brentford um, pressed City a little bit and then retreated as fast as they could. Yeah. Um, I, I I I was watching that game on Wednesday, and I kept, the, the more I was watching it, I was just thinking City aren't moving the ball quickly enough, and that's part of the problem here. And I, I wonder how much of that was how compact, right? Um uh Brentford were and were were, were cutting down the space or how much of it was just simply City players taking too many touches and 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 all the way through I was thinking I'm not sure this John Stones experiment at right back is really doing the job it it, that 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 City need out of this game then afterwards Guardiola said he was the most important player on the pitch and was the like almost as if to say to me what what the fuck do you know sort of thing you know what I mean
4: yes yeah yeah so so important um yeah, I I thought Stones played well. Um, I must admit, I didn't watch that game and think that the difference in this game has been John Stones and him exploiting the space or the breaking lines or what Guardiola was saying. But perhaps that is why um, Guardiola is paid fractionally more than you and I. <laughs> Um, it's it's quite a significant fraction really isn't it uh... a large fraction yeah yeah, it it was useful um, to hear him say that because you then sort of look at the game and think oh right what do I need to look at again Um, but I mean it was useful as well in the sense that City did look good with kind of stones on the right and Laporte on the left of Diaz this kind of three man build up um because stones and is kind of not quite as good as laporte but similar levels at kind of distributing the ball and um getting city moving forward um but i mean as good as stones is i don't think he'll start playing instead of kyle walker
3: yeah yeah i i'm I, the, the interesting thing is that the, the one thing i thought was uh was walker was the one that was missing there richard um I, I kind of, I kind of accept though that the, the more Guardiola's talked about it afterwards and, and and said that what Stones was doing was important for the team. That I might be wrong on this, and I'm not. like It's not. It, it what stones was offering down that right-hand side like it's not in his natural position he was a couple of times I felt where um it was it was almost like the wheels were about to fall off when he was making the pass um and yet the worst pass that I saw on on the night was when uh, Laporte just belted it into Diaz in the middle for no reason
5: <laughs> yeah that was that was a strange one um no I, I mean I agree I thought that like you've both said, I I wasn't watching the game thinking like it was some kind of revolutionary performance from Stones or anything like that. But I thought he was um, I thought he was very good. I thought he was. There were times when he was noticeably high up the pitch and um, and and spreading the ball from sort of quite central positions, which you don't necessarily associate with you starting right back. Um, and I thought he looked pretty comfortable in doing it. I thought his his choices were, were generally good. Um that is part of though I, I agree that City were a bit more slow and maybe a bit more ponderous than they usually are. Again, comes back to I think Brentford also were were pretty good at forcing that and, and making that be the case. Um but yeah I was I was happy with Stones. I thought he he had a, a good game and and absolutely if Pep's gonna come out and say that he sort of played to the plan and that he was crucial to the victory then I'm willing to accept Pep's word on that because the one thing that we don't have access to is exactly how he was instructed to play Yeah, um, but is. Pep's usually pretty sharp at analysing a football match. I think so. If, if, he, if he's so so happy, then I'm so so happy with him. Yeah,
3: he's got form, hasn't he? For, for getting things right, I think. I think if we're going to say anything about Guardiola, is that he might know one or two things about setting up a football team. Yeah, um, Simon, let's let's look at the youngsters from the form game because I think the I think that's the headline really from from that game. Uh, there were big cheers when delapp and, and Mcatee uh, came on and, and got some time on the pitch. How do you think they did?
4: I thought they did very well. Um, I think every time McAtee has played this season, he's just been absolutely fearless. Um, I can't remember who it was, but he, he only had a few minutes in uh, when he his first game, maybe. And it uh, might have been on commentary, actually. And they said, oh, you know, what's the point in bringing him on for a few minutes? And then he just absolutely ran the show. Um, <laughs> and... and led to that Gary Neville comment about clones. So he was very good and it was kind of important, I think, that they played him um, so soon after this new contract because there has been a lot of, you know, he has been looking for reassurances that that path to more minutes is there. So giving him that and he was in the squad again against Brentford. So um, they are showing him that, that path. And then great to see... Liam de Lapp back, he's had a horrible year with injuries um, and unfortunately his goal was ruled out. But I just love watching Delap play because he, he's so unlike what you would expect a Guardiola striker to be. But he's, <laughs> um, I, I'm all for embracing uniqueness and different qualities in the team and, and he gives exactly that.
3: Yeah, I tell you what, Richard. When when the lap was walking to the touchline, line, um, I I thought there's no way that this kid is what eighteen, nineteen. He, like, <laughs> he, he, he he looked like the sort of you know forty five year old man you come up against on a Sunday league pitch, that, like that sort of built and like oh I'm am, I'm am going to get nothing out of you today. Um, and I, I, he just didn't. He just doesn't fit the profile of what I expect a, a, a centre forward to be these days. And that's 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 perfect, I guess. Um, we, we've said, Richard, haven't we? That that opportunities uh, for young players are slim in the past. Do you think that's changing a little bit?
5: Yeah, I think I think it is. Um and I think that is I think that's natural. So there was like this expectation when Pep came in because of his reputation at Barcelona for using young players and some quotes that I think he'd given in the past about his, his preference for being able to do that, like an expectation that he'd suddenly be turning to the youth team to, um, to sort of dominate English football. It was never going to happen that way. The the point that City are at post-takeover, the sort of at the natural point where you would expect if on day one, they were looking at, Improving the youth system. This is the point where you would be expecting that to bear fruit. Players are recruited at an extraordinarily young age, um, and at City now we sort of know that they're put through a system to um, it's a mirror, I suppose, or, or replicate the way the first team play, so that they're ready to jump into the first team and, and just sort of fit in um, when they need to. And I think we're, we're at a natural point where that should start bearing fruit if it's ever going to. And, and I think we're seeing. Good results from that now, um, and I think that shows in the way that the that the players, even the way they act when they come on. I think one thing that's really noticeable to me, and was like the first thing that I ever noticed about Foden in the in when he got his first sort of five minute substitute appearance, is every single player comes on and looks at home. Whether it's Palmer, Delarte, Makati, Foden, whoever else, they they've never looked like. They have to make their mark there and then or that they have to sort of do something outrageous to impress or grab the headlines or anything like that. They just come in and they become part of that sort of well-oiled machine. Um, and it's it's so good to see. Um, and it, I just think it's part of that why we're now in a position to get young players into the first team, because the quality is there. It's bearing fruit from the recruitment that City have done into the academy um, over the last decade or so, um, and this sort of model in the system right the way through the, the youth ages up to the first team, it's, it's reflected in how those players come onto the pitch and play. And obviously, you've got to be um, very, very good to make your mark in this City yeah. team. But we're, but we're seeing we're seeing very young players do it, and you know you wouldn't be. If the lap started at weekend, you wouldn't be worried, would you? Or McAtee or, um, you know, Palmer when he's fit. Like, you're happy to see them play. You know, certainly I know I am. Um, and it, it just feels like things click into place pretty quickly for these kids now. So it's it's really good to see.
3: Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to sit here, though, Simon, and say that um, you know things are changing at a pace where we can expect youngsters in the team all the time. Because let's be honest, if City if City have the opportunity to this summer, they will go out and spend big on a striker. For example, Erling Haaland. You've got Julian Alvarez coming in, and then suddenly Liam Delaps not quite as uh, as got as many opportunities as, we, as we're sitting here saying uh, is he?
4: No, he hasn't. But I think what has been so enjoyable. Has been that kind of the production line has continued because I I've still been of the opinion for a long time that like Foden is a one off and you can't compare City youngsters to Foden because like Pep said he's the most talented player he's ever coached um, as a as a young player Uh, and yet Cole Palmer every time he plays looks like he's following the exact same path as Foden and you know and also as a sort of local. Manchester lad as well he has that connection with fans and like at Swindon when he scored it was it, it was great to see um so all the likes of Palmer and Delap and McAtee can keep doing is keep keep uh proving people wrong and you know when they play like Richard said just looking so comfortable in the team um that you think well yeah they look they look like a Man City player they look like a a first team player so Delap is maybe a slightly different case because he he is so different from the profile of the rest of the strikers. Yeah, he's a 45 um, five year old Sunday League player. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but also, you listen to Guardiola speak about him, and he loves him. He loves exactly what he he brings. And I, I know Guardiola sort of, you know, would have a team full of midfielders or whatever. Um, but he also loves goal scorers and people who have that knack for. Um, for getting goals and Dilap has that. And as long as he keeps that up, he's going to stay very close to that first team. Yeah.
3: Um, I want to talk about a few of the more senior players, uh, Richard. Let's start with Riyad Mahrez because he's now scored uh, eight goals in his last seven City appearances, at least one in every one of those games as well. Uh, the longest run of consecutive appearances with goals for City is uh, a fellow called Billy McAdams uh, with 10. Um, then close behind that is Derek Cavan and uh, Sergio Aguero on eight. Uh, two of those players left City in the 60s. The only other one is Aguero on eight. So one more goal. <laughs> if Mahrez scores in his next game, he's, he's, he's overtaken Aguero. Um, I want to say thanks to Stat City, Adam Carter, for digging that one out for me. Um, where's where? How has Mahrez become so vital to this City team?
5: Well, I think... Um, I, I think... He's confident, isn't he? Like he's to watch his game now, he looks confident in what his role is in the team, which I don't think was always the case. I think when he started, um, he looked out, and I know we're going back a while, but he, he sort of looked out of step to me with the rest of the team. And I think that's very natural coming into this team and going from being sort of one of three big players at his previous club to being, you know, sort of one of 11 big players every time he's on the pitch at City. Um, He's, he's, he found his feet in the team in his second season. And I think it's just been a pretty upwards trajectory ever since then. And I I think that's reflected in, he's clearly trusted by his teammates. I think um, there were comments this week. I think it was from, Um, from Cancelo talking about how good he is and not really feeling that Mares gets the credit he deserves, but sort of continuing to get his rewards on the pitch. Um, I I think he's he's proven himself. He's proven that his sort of points of difference with um, what he offers different to the rest of the team um, are really, really valuable to City in a way that probably wasn't obvious to everyone in his um in his first season is consistent in front of goal is become a player that after the sort of the, the main point of his first season being that penalty miss at Anfield is become the player that you want to see taking every penalty um he's just he's reliable in a lot of in a lot of different situations and he's he's always worth having on the pitch to watch that outrageous first touch that he's got I, <laughs> I, I never I never thought when we used to sit here in the sort 17-18 of season and every week we'd be talking about Bernardo's first touch I never thought I'd see somebody who can do it better and I think maybe Mahrez does it it's, you know, he velcros the ball to his foot no matter how it comes at him. um yeah. and I'm really happy for him is it, it's great to see a player like that who's got sort of all the skills but who's who's adapted um who's adapted his game to to fit into this team and is I think he's almost as important as anyone and it's definitely true that he doesn't get um full credit but I think when you see how he plays his teammates and his manager know how good he is and that um, that hopefully is enough to keep him satisfied and you know all the trophies that he gets
3: yeah I was going to say that though Simon it, it seems like he's the first one of the first names on the team sheet right now come what may
5: um
4: yeah You don't sound so sure. I don't. At at the risk of being sort of banned from entering Algeria for life, (laughs) um, (laughs) I sort of think I I could name, I could easily name five city players that have been better than him this season. Possibly ten. I can't remember a game where he's been man of the match. I can't remember any of it. (sighs) It is mad because he's got seven goals more than any other player. But how many of those goals have been important? Um, I don't know off the top of my head. Has, I but I, that, I know
3: a, a lot of them, like Richard said, a lot of them have been from the penalty spot. And that's something, that's a problem City really yeah. needed to address.
4: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, but it's sort of like, you know, do you just bring him on to take the penalties or for his first touch or things like that. I'm not saying he's not been good. And penal, scoring penalties is something that City have struggled with for like, two, three years. Um, So that in itself is worth its weight in gold and the confidence that he has just to go up and smash it in. Um, And also that, you know, fair play to him for missing that Algeria penalty in the AFCON, (laughs) but meant he was back sooner for City. Um, But yeah, it's just a weird situation I find that he's comfortably top scorer and yet doesn't really seem to, um, to have scored many important goals.
2: You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer, statcity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk.
0: Tax Day is coming. Oh, no.
3: While we're uh, possibly putting your reputation on the line, Simon, I'll come to you on uh, <laughs> on Jack Grealish as well because there's been a couple of stories this week uh, on uh, uh, well off the pitch. Uh, what have you made of both of those? Because obviously one was a really nice video with the with the young fan, and then uh, a, a maybe not so complimentary video um, about him being turned away from a nightclub.
4: Yes, um, both kind of. I don't know. I think they say more about social media than than Grealish. Um, just the fact that everyone was saying what a nice man he was for his um, for taking time out to to speak to the disabled fan, and then the day later, many of the same people probably are um, saying what a not a nice man he is for uh, for that uh, having a drink, yeah, but yeah. For those like seconds of video um, caught there, I mean, yeah, I, I I don't, I'm not really too bothered about. Um, The video of them on the night out, uh, or out in the evening. Um, If it was a point where it was affecting his his performances or his form, um, then I think you could be troubled. But I think there is probably, I I think Grealish has, um, you know, been in situations like that before, and every other City player has, and every other footballer has, probably. Um, they don't all they don't all get caught on TikTok, but I I, I just struggle to I, I struggle to care about that story if yeah. I'm honest.
3: Look at us, three three thirty odd year olds talking about TikTok. <laughs> who, can, who can believe it? Yeah, I know. Uh, Richard, I, I just want to play you what Guardiola said about it this week because he's he's pretty nonplussed by it as well. This is what he said in the uh, press conference ahead
1: of Brentford. I'm so upset because they didn't invite me and I don't like it next time hopefully they can invite me and do the dinner correctly at 8 o'clock that they have done and uh, the video didn't show or show or didn't show exactly what happened dinner together sober enjoy with his mates and some of the staff backroom staff so the players know so their risk won't go out because today is a social media but all of them Riyadh, Kyle Ali Jack they were perfect so but they will be fine because they didn't invite me.
2: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
3: There we have it. So um, Guardiola not making much of it, uh, Richard. I mean, the, the other thing is, you think of, you know, just, just a few years ago when, um, when, when we were growing up watching City, the players would go out after the game anyway. You know what I mean?
5: <laughs> yeah, it's, I think um, Pep's, comments are a pretty good guide to what a non-story it is. Um, if they'd been out, you know, if it was night before a game kind of thing, or when they were on curfew, then obviously you want your players um, behaving professionally and, and all that stuff that's going to maximise the chances of doing well in the team. I think you can usually tell with Pep, um, you know, he plays down a lot of things, but he's, he's got an absolutely atrocious poker face. So <laughs> it, if this was a it was a story... Or they'd done something um, that they were, um,
3: if he was annoyed, uh,
5: prohibited yeah. from doing. You would know. I mean, I think the maybe one of the best examples of that was the Aguero car crash when he. <laughs> I think he he clearly shouldn't have been there, and Pep kept saying it wasn't a problem, but it clearly was. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, this isn't that, is it? It's yeah. it's unfortunate. Um, you know, at best, maybe there's a point to be made about having a little bit of awareness about how things might be portrayed. But then, why should why should he care about that if he's not breaking any rules? Then, um, then that shouldn't matter, should it? Yeah. So okay. yeah, Who cares what people say, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm with Simon on that, and the other one was just a, you know, it was a nice it was a nice story, wasn't it? I'm sure that's the kind of thing that, um, I'm sure he signs a lot as well at and gives a lot of people hugs, but it was a, you know, it was a nice video to see at least. I, I think the I think the thing
4: as well that I took issue with, um, with people re, sort of reacting to that video was that it was all on Grealish and the insinuation was that, well, like, Grealish shouldn't be out because he's not playing well, whereas, like, yeah. nobody cared about Mahrez or Walker being out. Good so point. so what you're saying, yeah.
3: Simon, is that Mares has
4: been playing well? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I just sort to clear that up. Yeah. <laughs> this idea that you can, um, you know, you can do what you want if you're playing well, but, um, you know, you should be, what, staying at home and doing extra passing drills if you're not? I don't know. <laughs>
3: It should be it should be revising your uh, your set pieces and stuff when you're yeah. at home. Uh, speaking of set pieces, let's. I wanted to finish on uh, on this because um, Richard, somebody said to me over the weekend uh, when City got a corner um, uh, against Fulham. This was this was before Stones scored, uh, but just City don't score from corners and. I, 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 like my gut instinct was, yeah. Generally, they don't do very well from set pieces. But then, the more I thought about it, the more I thought that actually they're they're getting better at it. And I looked at the numbers. Six of the last twenty six goals City have scored have been from set pieces, so free kicks or corners. Um it doesn't sound a lot, but it's it's nearly a quarter of them. Um, Simon, you asked Guardiola about this because you kind of... you've. I, I sense that you've kind of felt like they've got better at this as well.
4: Um, I, I'm, I'm sad enough to know the stats, yes, if that's yeah.
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, this is what Guardiola said.
1: It's the best season in terms of uh, offensively in corners and free kicks so far. It's the best in the... Carlos... Uh, Carlos... Um, and there are two Carlos... <laughs> They helping us to to work in the set pieces with Harry as well. So they are doing an incredible job, an incredible job in this department. Yeah. So concise, so clear. And still I had the feeling we can do better. We have to improve in our takers. I think uh Kevin, Gundo, Riyad, Phil, they have to improve to a little bit to, you know, to put the ball in the right spot. Because I think we can be we can be dangerous in that position because our central defender, Rodri, um uh, Dino and place uh, all of them center defenders. We are, yeah, we are strong in this department. Is it just new ideas from, from Carlos on the coach, or is it getting no, that no, time no. To practice it more? no, 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 we just take a look and do it simple, the right moments, not too much complicated. And uh, and uh, he's an incredible, good communicator. Uh, the, the meeting about the set pieces is so inspired, uh, so so clear, clever. And I think the players appreciated that. Yeah, I'm more than delighted about the job that Carlos has done so far.
2: You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
3: So Richard, is it a myth that City are bad at set pieces?
5: Um, I think the way I would probably put that or, or reframe it is I don't think City are worse or have been worse at set pieces than sort of almost anybody else. I think Teams often stand out when they're good at set pieces because they're a really hard thing to be particularly good at. So, you know, you think of the likes of um, Allardyce teams, Tony Pulis teams, Sean Dyche teams. Those teams that play very direct football, I think, tend to um, target set pieces in particular. And for everybody else, I mean, I'm sure they work on them. And and Pep spoke uh, obviously there about the work that City are doing on them. But I think they're a really easy thing to think that your team is bad at because the vast majority of set pieces don't turn into goals. like They just don't. Um, And there's all this, you know, the, the old thing about it's criminal not to beat the first man. But actually, I think if the first man is heading the ball away, that usually indicates that the taker has got, and this is going to sound daft possibly, but that the taker sort of got the right idea with the delivery. Because if you're floating a corner in, you're probably not scoring from it because there's no momentum on the ball for an attacking player to run at. You're probably giving the advantage to defenders. Whereas if you're clipping somebody's head then you've like the first man's head then you've at least tried to keep the ball low enough for somebody to attack it and still keep the and and almost use the natural pace of the ball and that's a you're talking potentially millimeters over whether you beat that man or not i maintain the most
3: dangerous corner is the one that is only just over the head of the man at the near post
5: yeah and and bearing in mind that you've got a factor in when you're taking it like how high is that guy going to jump like it's a really hard skill to get that in the right to get that exactly right so that it's beating him and landing in the right place for your your attacking players in the box and it's frustrating to see how many corners go to waste but I just don't think we're traditionally any worse than any other team it's just a really really hard skill to target um, and conversely it probably gets worked on defending them more than it does attacking them and um, that's you know my um, guess but they're, they're such an important thing to defend and um I suspect traditionally the same level of work doesn't go into attacking them because they're not your main route to goal for most teams.
3: Yeah. Simon, did you
4: get the answer that you wanted from Guardiola there as well? Yes, I did. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. I think um, I think it might have been under Pellegrini where they went more than a year without scoring from a corner. Yeah, um, and I think that will be something that you know will take some time to, for people to forget. And then Guardiola <laughs> has often said they're really bad at defending set pieces. Which again is kind of difficult to um, dismantle, but they—I mean—the reason I've sort—I just picked up on it from watching the games, but um, but they've never been better at set pieces under Guardiola, and and they've got the best record in the league at the moment. And the reason I kind of picked up on it it was around the time when um, City were winning over Christmas, and a few, a small section of. people decided so well of course that you were always going to win the league and I I just sort of thought it was a bit unfair that you know it was cast as like well moneybag city were always going to win the league when in fact they're they're improving things still after like six years they are finding parts of the game that they can improve and like they've started taking short corners a bit more um, I find, I find yeah.
3: this, I find that all baffling as well because it, like, you sit in the ground and you'll hear, they'll take a short corner and you'll hear a lot of people go, Oh, just get it in the box. And then you'll hear <laughs> this, those same people when they put it in the box go, Oh, beat the first man. And then if they don't beat the first man, it'll be, Oh, we never saw, we never score from corners. So <laughs> like, like, they're trying yeah. something different. It's
4: fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but they've, they've started having two at the corner flag, um, and doing various different things in the last few weeks. And then I don't know if you noticed the Brentford game, uh, there were two Brentford players mm-hmm. like ten yards away and trying to get closer, eight nine yards every time, and the the referee had to tell them a few times to get back. But they Brentford had obviously picked up on something City were doing and doing their best to counter that. So if you if you're sad enough like me to think such things are interesting, then it yeah. is a point <laughs> worth raising. Yeah,
3: I love I love the idea that next season that uh, there'll be there the, could be the, this idea that we'll uh, we'll take a short corner, but four players will run over to drag <laughs> five defenders over just to see what happens. Yeah, be be, uh, be, be fascinated to see what happens. Right, one thing I'd like to talk about this week is uh, the ticket prices for the game with Thorham. I said in the introduction to the show just how many posts we have seen on social media with parents taking their kids to the Etihad for the first time. Uh, one of those was a friend of mine, BBC podcaster Dan Maudsley. Honestly, go and check out his shows, Paradise and On the Ground, on BBC Sounds. They are great. Um, he's been telling me how the FA Cup tie at the weekend was his two sons' first visit to Eastlands.
0: Yeah, it was. I, uh, I my first ever like big football. In fact, actually, my first ever football game was main road for united uh you know in the derby when it was the the famous 5-1 yeah um so i got a very skewed idea of what football was like uh, <laughs> <laughs> and foolishly have been chasing that ever since um and for my sins i became a red because i felt sorry for united because <laughs> it just got hammered and they clearly needed support um so i was a red from that point on um but now that i'm a dad i've got two sons one's a red and one's a blue so um, so we, yeah, we've been to Old Trafford and, uh, only to be fair, we, we went, ended up going to the Etihad as well. Uh, so this was his, he's, uh, he's eight, my youngest and, uh, well, seven going on eh, I should say. And this was his, yeah, this was his first, uh, experience of the
3: Etihad. Yeah. So if you don't mind me asking what, uh, what, what was the, the price of the, of the tickets for the day out for everybody that went? It was a steal. I have to say <laughs> having, having ponied up to
0: go to Old Trafford in the previous round, um, yeah it was a lot easier on the pocket i think it was a fiver for the kids um i think i was 15 because i I had (laughs) i'm now i'm now a a citizen is it um yes this is a member yeah yeah uh, yeah, so i'm now a citizen and a united (laughs) member i don't i'm not sure that's even allowed um but i had to become a citizen to get the ticket so i got the you know a bit, bit off the adult ticket as well it was really cheap yeah yeah.
3: So how, how did the boys uh, like the game? They loved it,
0: actually. I mean, because we were um, we were quite close to the pitch as well. We were on road G, uh, sort of in the corner. And, you know, second half, we had, you know, we were kind of metres away from, from Maras and Grealish and all this kind of, you know, it was, that was pretty special for them. And, uh, yeah, not too bad of you either. I was a bit worried. I know some of the lower, <laughs> when you get closer to the pitch, that angle <laughs>
3: Gets quite acute, yeah, but um, yeah, we managed to. Uh, those big screens certainly help, actually. Yeah, uh, so I mean, obviously they've uh, they've enjoyed the day. It's it's come it's come fairly cheaply. Is the it, 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 the clamour now is for them to go back, isn't there? Yeah, well,
0: so I'd bought for Christmas anyway um, tickets for the for the Brighton game, but that was you know that's still some weeks away. So, and as I say, with uh, the only tickets I could get for Old Trafford were the fourth for the uh, third round of the cup. So uh, when United were drawn away, uh, when no, no, United when United um, got the draw and they were at home again, so I applied for tickets again uh, and didn't get them in the draw this time. And then um, yeah, looked on City and was very pleased to see <laughs> that actually you know I could buy with my one membership, which you could you know you need to get membership uh, for everyone who wants to go to Old Trafford. With my one membership, I could get. think it was up to six tickets so that was great because i took my lads i took one of their friends i took my wife who's a leeds fan (laughs) so yeah it was a full it was the first time as a family we've gone
3: to the football yeah and i mean that's the other side of that as well is is it's kind of the new generation of fan you said yourself that that you're not a city fan your wife isn't a city fan but now one of your lads is as well and it's it's like that opportunity to get them into the ground for the first time at at, at, a really cheap price as well yeah
0: absolutely now you know uh, he'll definitely be going back. And I don't think, uh, you know, my, my other lad is, he's, uh, so he's nine going on 10 and, you know, he's a United fan, but actually he loved it. Cause you know, when you, when you're seeing, you know, England players right there, you know, so he could appreciate that. But also the football was great. You know, I mean, it, it's, it was unbelievable. Some of what we were seeing and, um, uh, to be frank, uh, Old Trafford, I haven't seen necessarily that this season. So <laughs> I, I do want to say pure, myself, but you, you know, know. <laughs> just from a pure footballing perspective, to be able to see that four or five. Uh, now, you know, I usually take them down to uh, to Alty, and you know, it's, that's like a couple of quid for them, but it's still, you know, like 15, 16 pounds for me. Um and you know that's great it's a great day out, but you know again for for um you know as much as I, I love Ulti and've and been I'm a diehard Ulti fan, the quality is not the same anything like you know it's, this is world class that we're seeing this is the, the the by far the best team in the Premier League and one of the best teams in the world, and I'm paying a fiver for them to see it you know it's extraordinary
2: this is the Blue Moon Podcast?
3: That was Dan Maudslick talking to me about uh, the accessible ticket prices uh, against Fulham. And uh, Simon, this is this is something you've written about this week uh, because the, the game, I think, was a great example of what's possible when the tickets are affordable, isn't
4: it? Yes, yeah, it is. Um, I thought it was great against Fulham, and I, I just generally think that affordable tickets are good. It's like what West Ham said: we we don't condone. Violence against <laughs> animals around the Zuma thing—it's like, well, did it need saying? That? Yeah. Does, like, does it? Does anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, obviously, attendances and city has been an issue for for years, and anything that that city can do to to counter that and to just to grow the um, the fan base and and get people excited about games um, is for the best and I know sometimes Guardiola has been like well you know we're playing amazing football what do people expect Um, but I also know of occasions when like people, I know someone who um targeted like FA Cup games because they thought oh it'd be good to go and see players that don't normally play Um and let me just get this up they went to see Manchester City against Rotherham in the third round in 2019 in January because they thought it would be you know, a chance to see a different team. And City's lineup was Edison, Walker, Stones, <laughs> Otamendi, Zinchenko, De Bruyne, Gundogan, Foden, Mahrez, Sterling, Jesus.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, you see, uh, you, you do see. Full, that's that's the one thing Dan was saying in in uh, in in the interview that you do see the stars. That like Guardiola doesn't t- doesn't rotate for the cup and he doesn't throw out a team of kids.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And that is a good thing for some people. And like at Swindon, it was fantastic to see the Swindon fans so excited about all the players getting off the bus Um, and players that you wouldn't even think about. Like Kyle Walker isn't one of the sort of most high-profile City players, but the Swindon fans went mad for him. And then you think, well, he's probably one of the players they know and see the most because he's always on the telly with City or England. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, for people who want something a bit different from the Cup games to see that the same old, same old lineups from the Premier League um, may not be a reason to to spend extra money on that. Um, So it's hard, but, you know, I, I, City have lost, or the the amount of revenue City have been getting from from ticket prices has been going down in recent years, uh, both as a percentage in total. And I kind of think it wouldn't be a terrible thing if they you know decided that they could afford to take a bit of a hit and focus on you know more sponsorship deals yeah
3: elsewhere uh, it's it's interesting as well because uh, richard uh, one thing Dan said to me after the interview there is that his uh, his, his son that is uh, leaning towards united went to that game uh, at the etihad and and now might actually be leaning a bit more towards city and that uh, that that's what you want, isn't it? You want to encourage those sorts of fans to come along to the Etihad for uh, you know an affordable price, and you can kind of get them in that way.
5: Yeah, I mean those th- those games as as a kid, the the formative memories, aren't they? And when you price people out, or um, when people have to make decisions around which games they can go to, you reduce people's opportunities to to make those memories and making that um making that bond with the club and and like that's a big part of or at least certainly my experience like being able to go to the games is such a big part of how you fall in love with it all um and yeah those those formative memories are are so important and and the club need to harness that and and make sure that they can encourage that for um for, for people as much as possible and reasonable ticket pricing is for cup games in, in particular is such a um it's just such a good way of of, of getting people in yeah um, and and hopefully they will they will learn from having a sellout for a fourth round game against a, a team from a lower division and um, they will learn that it works and it it makes everything look better i mean if you think you know, reputationally that's got to look better around the world on tv hasn't it that the stadium is clearly full um there's just so many advantages to it that I fully agree with Simon, even if it means taking a little bit of a hit in the pocket. it's It's got to do more for the, um, I hate to use this word about football, but it's got to do more for the brand. Yeah,
3: Um, I want to bring in this question though from Francis Foles on Twitter Um, it's a total of £103 for an adult and a 9 year old child for the cheap seats in South Stand Level 3 for the forthcoming City versus Spurs game with £40 of that going on the child's ticket I know most of our home games for the rest of the season are going to be category A or high price tickets as we played the big boys away in the first half of the season but for fans without a season ticket the prices to go match by match are absolutely disgusting. Is it any wonder we have empty seats at those prices during a Pandemic. The foreign prices were brilliant, but it doesn't mask the prices for the upcoming league games. um Richard, what's your reaction to that? I mean, I know, I know you're a season ticket holder, so it's not—it's it, hard for you to kind of comment on a match by match basis of, of league games. But still, it's—it's it, it's a lot of money.
5: It is. I mean, I, I don't—I don't think there's uh, any form of entertainment where it's justifiable to charge forty pound for a child's ticket. I think that's—I um, I think that's almost unbelievable. Um, it's i mean for all those reasons that i've just said about the Fulham game it's it's just prohibitive it's it, it's prohibitive to young people it's prohibitive to families and they are such important ways of getting people in and it's not just about the here and now that's your future fan base that you're risking pricing out of the game um and just morally i just i think it's atrocious um and and particularly at a time where you know we all know what's going on in the world it's it's not getting any more affordable to live your life is it and yeah. something has to give and you know football ultimately it's not as important as being able to afford to feed your kids or pop your heating on is it and and you're gonna see uh, you, you will see people having to make that choice and you'll see less people um going to football games if it Carries on that way we've not we've said this a million times before on this kind of conversation we've not got a fan base where people can choose not to come and we're going to fill all those seats with other people who are desperate to be there it's not the way it's ever been at City it's not going to be that way for some time yet I'm sure if ever Um, and they've got to think very very carefully about their pricing structure in the next few years because People are having to make choices, and and football will fall a long, long way down people's priority list. Unfortunately.
3: Yeah, Simon, I sent that question into City, um, and they've decided not to go on the record with with a response to it. But I, I'm, uh, I, I, they will they will just say if if the games are selling out or close to selling out, then they're just charging what the market demands, won't they?
4: Yes. Yeah, they are, um, and I do think it is important to say that you know, City do uh, have lots of reasonable things around ticket pricing. Um, on the same, but at the same time, I think it is also easy to hide behind say, "Oh, our cheaper season ticket is two nine nine, and that's really good compared to the rest of the league," and not discuss the rest of, of the pricing overall. Um, because as Francis said, it can get very expensive very quickly um, if, if you're not in certain categories or if you're not a season ticket holder. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know about you, Richard, but in the press box for the Fulham game or things like that, I, the press box is just in front of the Tunnel Club and the Tunnel Club is um, not one of the rowdier parts of the ground, <laughs> shall we say. But when, But when the tickets are cheaper... And the cheap of hospitality, as well as just in the stands, it just feels livelier, and it's a better atmosphere um, because yeah, okay. there are more people there, and the people who aren't, um, you know, always always there, um, and it just feels better. And maybe you have to be in the stadium every week to appreciate that, but you know, wouldn't it be nice if if City were to say? you know, slash all ticket prices or put a maximum cap on ticket prices for all fixtures um, to set an example. And even if it took a fraction off um, their their revenues, because, you know, I, I can think of four new partnership deals that they've struck um, in the last month or two. So they're getting better and better at striking up commercial partnerships and getting more money from revenue that way. They, they're never going to catch up with, say, Man United um, for stadium revenue, for instance, I, I wouldn't have thought. So why not, you know, take a minor hit on that and, and do something that makes a really big example. It, it, it's the same for like, you know, uh, Swindon away or Crystal Palace away uh, when the Premier League or the FA Cup or the broadcaster made it so difficult for fans to get back. I never understand why clubs don't kind of say, right, you can have free travel because it's such an easy PR win yeah
3: yeah Uh, just on the the one final thing I want to raise on this Richard as well is uh, Simon mentioned it there that like one of the things that 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 the club often say is things like we have we have the 299 season ticket but like uh, how how accessible are they how easy is it to get one of those how how many people is that an option for
5: yeah, I'm, I mean, I I don't know the answer, but it's something that I've always been very cynical about because it's always the, um, I think is it once a year, the, um, the stats on ticket prices are released. And one of the headlines is always Manchester City have cheapest season ticket in the Premier League. And it's obviously when you put that in contrast with being the best team in the Premier League consistently over a period of time, it's... Um, And obviously, you know, mentally, it it conjures the contrast with sort of what the players earn and and, and cost in transfer fees. But it's, yeah, I mean, Simon's already said it. I'm very cynical as to why that ticket exists when you consider those headlines. I think it is there as the attention grabber um, and something that is very, very easy to hide behind. Those certainly, um, as I understand it, those tickets come with certain stipulations that, you don't get to pick your seat or you, um, you know, that ticket is on its own. You can't, you couldn't have two people together buying that. And to be clear, I'm not criticizing that as a policy at all. I think that's a great option for people to have. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not sure that there's that many of them compared to the higher price tickets. Um, it's It's very good PR for City to have that ticket in place, I think.
3: Yeah, and they are season tickets. They're not obviously match match by match tickets. Yes. Um, yeah. Let's look ahead to uh, this weekend's game now. Um, Norwich, uh, Simon, four wins in the last six. Uh, that includes a run of of three wins in a row. Uh, Wolves in the cup, Watford and Everton. Um, if you were going to name three teams that I thought a team struggling at the bottom was going to beat, though, they might be the three that I would pick. So <laughs> I'm not really sure how much I can read about read from that going ahead to uh, ahead of this game to Carrow Road.
4: No, I think they've um, they seem to have stabilised under under Dean Smith, who I thought did an excellent job at Aston Villa, um, and I think you know it will be more difficult to beat Dean Smith's Norwich team than it it was um, to beat Daniel Farker's Norwich team, who were I thought one of the I thought they were going to be the worst team I'd see at the Etihad uh, <laughs> when they lost five 0 and then Arsenal came a week later and were even worse. But yeah, very very tough Norwich. Well, not not very tough, as in you know there are better teams in the league. But um, it's if you're talking about time times to play teams, it was it's probably not the best time to play Norwich in the same way that it was probably a very good time to play Brentford. Yeah,
3: um, it is totally different from uh, 2019, Richard. But I I guess there's still something in the back of your mind that goes, uh, God, that 2019 game was awful.
5: Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's illogical because it's, um, you know, City are very different. And... Norwich, um, Norwich
3: have been down and come up again, so... Yeah,
5: yeah. I mean, Nor- Norwich have been out of the league, changed manager and, um, you know, changed parts of their squad. So it- it's very different. But, you know, it- Wigan should be different every time we go there, and it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, um yeah, it hopefully won't play a part. It'll be out of the players' heads. Um, the fact that it's a different manager to last time we went there should hopefully stop Pep getting in his own head about what a difficult place Carrow Road is to go. <laughs> um, it, I, I, I think I, I
3: think the fact that he doesn't have Nicolas Otamendi to pick this time is probably uh, a, a bigger help.
5: So yeah, yeah, I think um, I, I do think it's a tougher game than it would have been a month or two ago, but. Um, it's still one that you'd be looking at City winning, I think. Yeah. Um, what what
3: shape is the squad in right now, do you think, uh, Simon? Because uh, we're hitting that point where two games a week returns. Uh, the Champions League knockout is, is coming into the picture as well. Um, Guardiola traditionally kind of goes strong every game, doesn't he, in that sense of keeping the, the squad with rhythm, but might make two or three changes here or there. Um, I, kind of, I, I kind of wonder if he's rubbing his hands together at the prospects of these games at the moment, coming so thick and fast.
4: Yes, um, I I must say as well, one uh, memory from 2019 at Norwich is um, Guardiola using the word fraudiola in his post (laughs) match conference, which must be one of his top five achievements, I think, at the club. Um, Yeah, I I think Guardiola prefers the rhythm of when the team are playing twice a week and he can sort of plan and tweak his team as he likes it, it's been a bit weird recently. They've had more time off than than, not, they, yeah. than, than anyone is used to. Um, so, you know, no wonder they end up at Albert Schloss. But they just <laughs> kind of... They need a few games to to get back into the rhythm. They've kind of had that with with Fulham and, and Brentford. Um, and Norwich, again... It, 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 it's at the point where you start seeing games in blocks and like Norwich has to be seen with sporting ahead that's coming up. City have done so well between the end of the Champions League group stage and the start of the 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 knockout stage. And it's going to get more difficult as soon as the knockout start again because things just get more complicated and you've got to switch your attention. So Norwich is kind of the last chance before the Champions League knockouts, but it, it's also so close to Sporting that it's got to be included included with it. But I, I think Guardiola said before the match against Brentford, it was like, it's now time for... Play, I'm going to use some players more than others and it, it's now time for those players that aren't being seen to, to prove me wrong. So so he's already in, in fight mode, basically. Yeah.
3: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm looking at um, the upcoming Champions League games, Richard, and, and knowing that Kyle Walker is suspended, okay, City are appealing the three games as a, as a harsh punishment based on precedent of other uh, red cards, similar red cards. Um, but at the moment, he's suspended for three games. How, how are you expecting that to kind of play out? Are you expecting kind of stones at right back again or switch Cancelo over? I mean, we've, we've barely seen Zinchenko. I wondered if he might come in for Norwich just to kind of get him some rhythm.
5: Yeah, I think there's a good chance that will happen. Um, I think it, it, it's tough to call, or, or it's tough to ever really expect anything with Guardiola's squad selection, but I do wonder whether Stones um, Stones having a go at right back is a bit of foreshadowing um, for, for what we might see in the Champions League. Personally, I'd probably prefer... I, yeah, I think I'd probably prefer Cancelo at right back and Zinchenko at left back. Um,
3: but that's that's just us traditionalists wanting fullbacks at fullback, isn't yeah, it? That's that, all it is. And Zinchenko isn't even a fullback, so
5: exactly. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that's a really good point. Um, <laughs> I, I would re. No, that's not the word I'm looking for. Um, yeah, I would sort of professional left back. Um, I would think I would prefer there um, than Stones at right back, but. Can you tell I've not really got a preference or not really got an
3: answer? (laughs) Um, Simon, we've got bad memories of going to Sporting too. I don't know if you were were covering City uh, for City's only visit there, Uh, but they lost 1-0 under Mancini.
4: Yeah, I I feel like um, City just do not get on with Portugal, full stop. (laughs) Um, Because... with, Name with one what? other game they've lost there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, um, wasn't Mario Balotelli in the grass at, <laughs> uh, Kiev. against Porto? <laughs> that was Kiev, wasn't it? Oh, was
3: it? That was Kiev, yeah. I think. Yeah, it was. Um, Porto. Uh, I think. I think that because they played Porto the week be- uh, the, the round before, they lost to Sporting uh, in that Europa League run, and I think they were one nil down in Portugal yeah, and, and that- came back to win at, right at the death.
4: Maybe I'm getting my UEFA fines confused. It might have been when they were a minute late, and UEFA <laughs> fined them more than they did CSK for racism.
3: That was, I think, that might have been Porto.
5: Yeah, it was and, that one.
4: Yeah, and, and then there's also kind of, um, you know, they're, they're playing at the same stadium where they played in uh, 2020 for the the quarterfinal against Leon. Um, oh, good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so all of the memories. All of the memories, but but you know what? What Pep will say? Basically, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. it's I, another game.
3: Yeah, Richard, the, there is there is an argument though, isn't there? That the that they gained a lot of experience from that Champions League run last season. Okay, it was behind closed doors, but you look at the big ties that they won on the way to the final. They they know how to handle a knockout round, don't
5: they? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and you know, I mean, importantly as well. All those negative experiences feed into that um, because you hopefully learn what not to do again. Um, I think that was something Pep demonstrated last year right up until the final um, (laughs) by selecting sort of fairly normal teams. Um, Obviously, the the, the final we don't need to touch on again. It's a significant outlier. Um, But yeah, there's experience now of getting to the final and hopefully... Um, and I suppose to draw a comparison with Liverpool a few years ago, hopefully that experience of losing the final, not only you've got the positive experience of getting there, but you've got the hunger to not repeat that again and to go one better. And I think everything we've seen from this team, um, when they've sort of bad title defence in 2020, um, they, they came back the next year, um, and refocused and, and won the league an absolute canter um, you hope there might be a similar effect in the Champions League not that they'll do it at canter of course but um, that, that hunger will drive them to, to hopefully go in one better this time
3: Yeah, well, we'll get predictions on the board shortly, but let's get a look first into how things are going at Sporting at the moment. I've been speaking to Sam Fonseca
6: from the Sporting 160 podcast to find out more about their season so far. Well, I think it's definitely probably one of the hardest ties we could have got. I think a lot of us would have preferred Juventus, which was uh, the original draw. Obviously, Man City killing it right now in the Premier League. It's definitely not going to be an easy task, but I mean, no one expected us to get into Europe, let alone win the league last year. And especially with the group we had, I know it wasn't sort of a group of death or anything like that, but Ajax, always in Europe, Dortmund, Haaland just speaks for himself and to come in that group second was an achievement in itself. So it's sort of a... Never say never but we definitely know it's going to be a really difficult task yeah I'm just I'm looking at
3: uh, at Sporting's results and uh, there's there's a couple of l's in the uh, in, in in the results uh, kind of uh, list in, in the last few weeks but um, by and large it's,
6: there's a lot of ws there the, the form looks pretty good yes definitely um it's, it's much different to last year we only lost once and that was after we had already won the league um but I think last year we weren't in any European competition at all. So there was a lot less sort of fixture congestion and everything like that. Um, I think it was only a matter of time before we we had a, had a, a loss coming. Um, the one against Braga was was um, probably a fair one, whereas Santa Clara we were a little bit hard done by. But I, I think the main thing is just getting back on track, which we have. Um, new signers have came in. Um, Marcus Edwards, formerly of um, Tottenham Hotspur, and um, Victoria Gimmarange, and Slimani, formerly of Leicester, and, and a cult hero here, so we've gotten a, a bolster for our attack, and I think you know we'd, we're definitely to iron, sort of iron sort iron out the problems that we have at the moment.
3: Yeah, I mean, just looking at the fixtures as well, though. There's uh, the, the Friday before this game. Uh, it's it's Porto away, and obviously the, the the picture at the top of the table at the moment is uh, well. If you're if you're going to win the title, you probably think you need to win that one day.
6: Yeah, most definitely. And and yesterday we played against Familia Cal, who was a, a team we've never actually beat since them returning to the top flight three years ago. Um, so we managed to beat them, which was good. But we've got Porto in the league and I believe we have them in our sort of cup. Um, the week after so it goes Porto Man City Porto so definitely February the hardest month we've had so far but if we can get through that I'm, I'm not saying we could, we can beat Man City it would definitely be a hard task but if we can get through that with some, some good results then then I'll be happy to sort of look to the future and hopefully looking to regain our title.
3: Yeah that, I mean let's let's focus on that uh, that Champions League tie now I mean if uh, what, what would you what would you deem a, a good result in this
6: first leg? It's it's difficult to say because you never want your team to lose, obviously. But um, I just don't want an embarrassment. I'm not sure if if you know the last time we were in the round of sixteen was in 2009, and we lost 10-1 on aggregate to to Bayern Munich. So anything less than than 10-1, I guess, is a success. But <laughs> I, I just want to have like a good good account um, of of us. I, I'm not expecting to win, as I have said. But Ruben Amarim is definitely a tactician. I think if if your fans aren't familiar with him. Definitely one to watch in the next few years. Definitely can see him coming to the Premier League and managing a big side there. He's very tactically aware. He says he he's uh, his um what's the word his sort of role model was was Jose Mourinho growing up, and you know he's definitely one to sort of tell the players ground the plays. You know I'm I'm sure he wants a good result, but you know if, if it happens to happens to be a loss then that's fine. I at least want to score maybe one or two against you and then, then I'll be happy. But just as long as we have sort of a good account of ourselves and, you know, play to the hardest, then then I'll, I'll have no qualms from me.
3: Yeah, if that's to happen, if you were to get
6: a good result out of this game, who are the players that, that, that would be responsible for that? I would say there's three that comes to mind and one of them is a player that is technically on loan from you, Pedro Porro. Um, A a fantastic, fantastic right-back. He's got everything you'd want for a right-back. Good attacking prowess, good defensive knowledge. He's got the flair as well for when he goes up on these attacks. And he plays with a lot of passion. You know, um, a tackle for him is just as important as a goal and he celebrates them uh, both the same. And I think he's definitely one to sort of have a look out for. The second one is a centre-back, Sebastian Coates. Um, A lot of your fans will be familiar with him playing at Liverpool and Sunderland, but he's nowhere near the same player he was back then. I know he was a, a part of that Sunderland team who eventually went down, um, as far as I'm aware, but a, a much different player. In a, in a five at the back formation, he seems to be an absolute rock and, and is our captain for a reason. Um, so I think he's another one to look out for. And finally, I'm going to go with um, Pablo Sarabia, who's on loan from PSG who was a part of a swap deal um, for a loan from PSG to Nuno Mendes and he was what we got in return. He's been on absolute fire since he's joined us and I think he's got the, the pedigree in teams like Sevilla and he's got it in, in Paris Saint-Germain as well and he's just been absolutely killing it. So if I were to narrow it down, I'd say Pedro Porro, Sebastian Coates and Pablo Sarabia are the ones that you've got to, to sort of look out for and hope that Guardiola gets a gets a good hold of them players. Okay.
3: How are you playing this season? What what sort of uh, setup do you think uh, you'll go with for this game? Because uh, are, are you likely to change much for for City coming to, to Lisbon, or is it is it something one of those where we play this way? This is how we're going to play.
6: Yeah, the thing with our coach Ruben Amorim is he's quite stubborn in his ways. I don't think I've ever seen him change formation, so I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same sort of five at the back or three at the back. Um, if I were to guess, I would say Sebastian Coates, um, Gonzalo Ignacio and Fidal at the back. Um, and then I would say in the midfield, you've got Matheus Nunes and Joel Polina. Uh, right back, Pedro Porro, left back will be, I think, Matheus Rice. And then in the wings, you've got Sarabia, you've got Pedro Gonzalez, and you've got Paulinho up front. And a Dan in net, I, I can almost guarantee that will be the, exactly the same lineup that he plays. He's not one sort of tinker too many things or change formation. He's definitely got his, his tactical style, and, and he rarely refrains from it. But let's say... If it does sort of go 2-3-0 quite early on, I can see him change it, changing it then. But as far as the actual start of the game, it's going to be the exact same formation he always plays. Yeah. What, what will the atmosphere be like, though? I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, if if you've ever been to Portugal to watch any game, even if it's Sporting, but Fica Porto, the atmosphere is just totally different. And that's not a, a sort of knock on any English fans, but it's just totally different out here. The football is almost like a, a life, a religion. So to come out on to come out here is just just so good. And if you've never been to the game, or any fans that are currently listening, are sort of like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to the game. I hundred percent recommend you. You will feel the experience. And um, when we actually went to the Emirates in 2018, um, I watched an episode of AFTV. I was actually at the game. Um, the Arsenal fans said that we were the best um, away fans they've ever had. So it's definitely going to be a, a sort of hostile environment for Messi to go into. Um, but the atmosphere is just 10 out of 10 in my eyes. Yeah,
3: I don't know if you realise this as well, but uh, City and, uh, and Sporting have met only once in uh, in competition in the past and uh, you knocked us out of the
6: Europa League back in uh, in 2012. Yes, I, I remember it very well, actually. Uh, the last kick of the game, I think Joe Hart was came up for the, the corner a free kick and he, he nearly scored, but that was a game as well that I just remember so well because... Being from, from Portugal and living in England, you don't get a m- much chance to brag about English opposition <laughs> and to beat a Man City team who I was just looking at the line before we came on. You know, Yaya Torre was still there, Sergio Aguero, Balotelli. You had a great team. And to beat that team with the team we had, which is nowhere near as good as the team we have now, we finished, I think, seventh or sixth that season um, in the league. So I think, you know, it, it's great memories, but... I want to sort of them to repeat themselves for for the first and second leg in 20 2022. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's 10 years ago,
3: isn't it? It's uh, it was because it was City's uh, first title winning season, first Premier League title. Um just before we let you go then uh, Sam, let's let's have a a, a score prediction. We got charity Bet coming up a bit
6: later on in the show. Let's uh, let's have a score prediction for uh, this game for the first leg of this game. Okay, I'm going to go optimistic because I feel like I'll be doing a disservice to my club if I don't I think I think you're definitely gonna score first, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a 2-1 win for sporting. I think Sarabia will score one, Paulina will score the other, and for you a player I've been impressed with with Jauk Cancelo, um, so I, I think I think he'll he'll get the goal for City.
3: Yeah, good uh, good Portuguese uh, connection, isn't it? Um, I, I tell you what, I tell you what, two one in the first leg. If it happens like that, it'll set up a cracking second leg, won't it? So uh, in, in in many ways, I wouldn't be too dissatisfied with that. It would uh, it it would be City with the away goal, Sporting with the lead. It'd be quite a quite quite a nice way to uh, to start the second leg, I
6: reckon. Yeah, you see, I didn't go all out and just say a 2 0 win. I have to give you sort of an away goal. There's got to be something like that. I don't think it's going to be that easy, unfortunately.
2: Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
3: That was Sam Fonseca from the Sporting 160 podcast. Uh, It's time for the charity bet. We had a winner this week. uh, Billy Grant, our guest from the Besotted Brentford podcast, correctly predicted a 2-0 City win on Wednesday. That means we've now raised £1,140 for this season so far for the Man City fans' food bank support. They're collecting donations for the Trussell Trust in Manchester. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single on City's games. We'll start with the trip to Carrow Road. Richard, what are you having for this one?
5: I'm going to go for City to win 3-0. 3-0 uh,
3: City is 6-1 to one and £60 if you're right. Simon?
4: Um, I've gone for 4-0, although I, I put zero thought into it and <laughs> thought about it before seeing uh, the midweek result. But Excellent. Now.
3: but you said it now and I've checked the odds so it's 9 to 1 and uh, 90 pounds. I've gone for a 4-1 city win which is 16 to 1 and 160 pounds if I'm right. That takes us on to uh, Sporting Richard what are you uh, what are you going for this one?
5: Um I'm going to go city to win
3: 3-1. 3-1 away win is 10 to 1 and 100 pounds, Simon.
4: Uh, I've gone for 3-0 to city.
3: 3-0 any more thought gone into that one or was that just a, uh, a, a good be- instinct
4: again? To be honest, uh, I would have liked both of Richard's predictions, but he'd already said them.
3: <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> I, that, that's the way I like to run it anyway. Uh, 8 to one if you're right, £80. Uh, we heard from Sam a bit earlier on. He's uh, predicting a City 2-1 defeat, a sporting 2-1 win, which is uh, 28 to one and £280 if he's right. Remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, take a look at BeGambleAware.org. Uh, we're going to squeeze in a quick listener question before we finish. Uh, this has come from Andy on twitter he says the worrying return of hooliganism at football over the past couple of years highlighted by players being confronted on the pitch is really an issue of concern wanting to avoid the return of fences should players take a greater role in suppressing anger amongst opposition fans when celebrating goals for example not doing so in front of other fans as opposed to your own like rodri did at arsenal and not pressing a finger to the lips that sort of thing the latter is more likely to antagonize than removing your shirt um richard this is something i wanted to throw to you because you you mentioned uh Uh, a a couple of weeks ago now, that Mm. um, you keep seeing a bit of trouble in the ground.
5: Yeah, it's been consistent this season. Um, So I sit in 3.15, so the third tier of the South Stand, and I'm like half a block over from the away fans, so I'm very, very close to them. And it's more often than not that there is some kind of flare-up. And um, the police and stewards are typically very slow to deal with it um i've heard of anecdotally but i've heard of um sort of uh, racist insults being thrown between supporters up there there's been stuff physically thrown between fans i've seen people throw punches over the barrier um and that's not to you know it's very much a minority but it's there and i've sat next to the away fans at sort of in, in one place or another ever since we moved to the Etihad and it is definitely an increase in in incidents. It's really concerning. Um, I think there's been a lot of talk recently and reports recently um, about sort of the use of cocaine at football matches, which is definitely on the increase. Um, I think it's almost to the point it's becoming part of the the football culture for um, it's, it's certain fans, um, yeah. which is which is really worrying, um, and yeah, I mean it's. On, on that element, it is it is a concern. And there's been, like there's normally a couple of games a season where me and my dad sort of make a point of when we come out, just getting over to the other side of the road so we're not walking out where the away fans come out because you can guarantee there'll be a little bit of a flare-up. But that's turned into now coming out of the stadium. Like at the Chelsea game, I saw um, what started as two people having a bit of back and forth with each other, which you see game in, game out. Um, that. Very quickly turned into somebody picking up one of the um, the silver railings, like that you know the that link together, yeah. taking one of them out and, and throwing it sort of directly at a Chelsea fan. Um, you can imagine how quickly that can turn into a much bigger incident, um, particularly if people's mood has been chemically altered. Like it's a it's a really um, it's really worrying to see, and, and that's gone to being to be honest, every game now. We we try and get over the road as quickly as possible. Um, obviously, the question was about players' roles in that as well. Though um, I'm conflicted about this because I sort of think that players take plenty of stick during a game. That if they have a little celebrate celebration or put the fingers to the lips, you know, as it or put the fingers in their ears, like Grealish often does because he gets booed all game. I sort of think they're entitled to do that. And it's it's a little bit petty, but one of the beautiful things about football is how petty it is. You know, there's there's nothing rational about a lot of the why I dislike some of the teams I dislike and the rivalries that I enjoy the most. And that wind up is a little bit of fun. But then also, maybe the players well, I mean, they do have a responsibility, obviously, to behave um, to behave properly, and if if there's a provable um and and not just anecdotal increase in, um, in in incidents of violence or um, aggression or arrests, however you measure that, um, then, yeah, maybe the players do need to think a little bit more about how they celebrate. But I, I, I'd i sort of not push too hard on that personally, because I think that's part of the game and within reason. Um, I, I don't really think that kind of stuff should be. Uh, it should be read too much into. The, ultimately, the responsibility for how you react to that. If you're not being like directly abused, you've got to be an adult about a player celebrating a goal. If you've given him a bit of stick during the game, haven't you?
3: Yeah, Simon, Richards just neatly torpedoed the way I was going to ask you this question because I was going to ask uh, about about if you know if players are taking stick for ninety minutes. Can you blame them for sticking the finger to the lips as they run past the fans having scored the winning goal? And it's like it's like you do have to be an adult about it, don't you? you, you, you if you give it out, you've got to take it back.
4: You do, yeah. I, I don't, with a few exceptions, uh, I don't really think players can take any blame um, for any sort of increase in, in violence. And, and also, as Richard said, it's kind of like a hugely enjoyable part of football, like the shithousery of the celebrations and whatever. Like, does. Just, just, I can't remember anything Emmanuel Adebayor did for City other than. That <laughs> celebration. Run, run the length the pitch, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's. Um, a young uh, city keeper on loan at Bolton at the minute, James Trafford, who managed to get two opposition players booked just for uh, not picking up the ball the other day. It was like very, (laughs) very funny. Um, But yeah, I do kind of, I, yeah, it it, it is a concern. um, And I do, I've got no evidence for this, um, but it does kind of feel like A lot more people are getting onto the pitch and getting towards players, like you saw the Forest Leicester game the other day. But like City were at Southampton, and like about ten City fans got onto the pitch at the end of the game. And I don't know. Growing up, it felt like they'd be like taken out by stewards as soon as they were seen, and now it's like you get to run the length of the pitch, and no one can really stop you. Um, So it it feels like there's. That, that there is less order at football matches now. I did notice actually a,
3: against Brentford on Wednesday night, um, city announced at halftime that uh, anybody who came onto the pitch would, would face a, a stadium ban and any child oh. that, that came onto the pitch their their guard, their parent or guardian that was with them would face a stadium ban as well. So it, it feels like something that they are trying to legislate a little bit more against.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I'd not heard that. That's interesting, but yeah, there have been a lot, a lot of times it's a kid that runs on and that, like, players go back and then sort of then interact with them. But, yeah, a lot of pitch invasions.
3: Richard, I just want to go back to the players thing as well uh, very briefly because um, the one thing we always say about players is that they don't choose to be role models, but they are. Um, does this not fall into that category as well?
5: Um, I mean, it does, but I, I guess my question to that is, what, what do you want to role model? And, and I guess, like, within this context... And, and and i don't mean to be obtuse because clearly like there's there's good and bad behavior and i do think there's a a level of responsibility that in if you're in the public eye and you accept that as part of your job there is a level of responsibility you take when you know that a big part of the people that idolize you are, are, are going to be children um but we've both just said and um you know i don't want to speak for you david but i i think that you might agree that part of the fun of football is when it can be a bit daft and a bit like that getting one over on your rivals like is is that a a, a fair assumption
3: absolutely not
5: <laughs> but okay so that's two out of three of us which is still still pretty convincing um like i <sighs> When, when I say what do you want a role model like I, I want the players to understand that that fans enjoy that about the game. Yeah. So when I you know when I, one of my examples where I think about that is do you remember when Pep gave Sterling a bit of a public dressing down after one of the derbies because in stoppage time they would be doing step overs in the corner when the game was wrapped up, and it's it's like it's appropriate for a manager I suppose to. Want to look respectful to his opposition, but for a fan, you've got you should dine out on that. Like Bernardo keeping the ball in the corner, and to me, that's uh, at Old Trafford when the game was um, was was done as well. Like that kind of thing, that's all part of the same, the same thing as a, a cheeky celebration to me. Yeah. Or um, it's it's
3: learning to take your medicine, isn't it? That's the thing. That,
5: yeah, that that wraps it up neatly. Yeah, and so I'm happy for a player to to role model. A, a bit of a cheeky celebration, as long as it's not going too far, and we we all know what too far is. I'm sure we can all envision that. So, yeah,
4: yeah.
5: I, I think as well, like, it, 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 I I don't want to speak for you, Richard, but like,
4: has <laughs> have the problems that you've seen been a direct result of things that players have
5: done, or well, is it just? Yeah. I, I, absolutely not, and that's I suppose I, I skirted around that in my answer. Um, I suppose just to try and balance my own <laughs> my own thoughts of it. Well, so yeah, you know, but, um, but you know, but no, horrible people are going to be horrible people, aren't they? Yeah, they've the, been the, they've, they've never been related to players' actions, not once.
4: Yeah, the, the lad who sticks a flare up his arse at Euro twenty twenty <laughs> is not like upset with Italian defending, is he? <laughs> Have you asked him, <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah,
3: I, uh, I I think I'm going to call time on this week's show there because I, I fear we're heading down a rabbit hole that uh, I'm not uh, not planned for so uh, yeah that brings us to the end for this week's show uh, thank you very much for listening and don't forget to give it a rating and a review where you can uh, thanks to my guests too, Richard Burns thank you very much and Simon Bakovsky. thanks for having me if you want some more Blue Moon Podcast and you'd also like to help with the show, then why not sign up to our Patreon? You'll get this weekly show ad-free and you'll also get a bonus podcast every Monday. This week we had Dom Farrell talking us through his five City games that shaped him in an episode of The Games That Made Me. Here's a clip.
2: That first goal, I've never heard... Until the obvious, I mean, the, the, obviously the Aguero one's in a different sort of ether. Um, I'd never heard a noise like that in a football ground when yeah. Elka scored that opener. Because it, it was one. it's one of those goals... Because obviously... It's early in the game, so the crowd's still up. It starts with like this blistering counter attack with an Elka, and then, and this isn't a dig at Sean Goat, it goes to the Goat, and it, it almost seems to go into slow motion because he sort of lets the ball come to him. He scuffs the shot, but it goes across Barthez, and because there's no power on the shot, Barthez can't push it away. And it's one of those moments in the ground where you've got the, it's nearly gone in, so people are half up, and it all seems to go into slow motion. There's that and moment
3: then, of realization in there where you re- where you go, it's dropping to one of our players here, and the goalkeeper's yeah. not in position. Yeah,
2: yeah, he's going to score it, yeah. and it was it was absolute bedlam when that went in. And so, yeah, so Solskjaer equalizes, and then it becomes the Sean Go show. But that, yeah, that opening goal was something else, and it was. You know, so, so this is now would be my tenth year of the season ticket holder, but as a as a very sort of long in the tooth seventeen year old, <laughs> um, but. It was it was spectacular it was great but the, to, to bring it back to the um, the thing of being at school with the load of United fans I say I was at secondary well sixth form now at this point and there were a few more city fans there but um you were thinking great you can walk in on Monday morning and you've won a derby but I you know precursor into what I'd end up going on doing with my life I had I had a week's work experience in the Middleton Guardian books that week so I didn't get to go into school that week <laughs> and then the weekend after, City lost at home to Charlton. So by the time I saw everyone again, it was like, oh, yeah. United had probably won in the Champions League, beat someone else, and we'd managed to lose at home to Charlton. And it was like, yeah, crack on. But the um, the day itself was immense.
3: That was a clip from this week's Patreon bonus show. It's available now for all backers. Uh, the details are on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. I'll be back next week to review the games with Norwich and Sporting Lisbon. So I'll see you then. <laughs>